Welcome to 30-Minute Nutrition, a podcast containing fast facts for patients and practitioners. Each episode is 30 minutes or less and covers trending nutrition topics you truly care about, minus the misinformation. I'm Annika Weeks, but you can call me Ani. As a registered diet technician, copywriter, consultant, and mentor, my goal for this space is to help translate tricky science into practical tips with the help of some of the best dietitians and experts in the field. I hope to meet you where you are every other week for an exciting conversation. Tune in in the carpool lane, during chores, on a run, or simply when you want to learn more. Whether you're here to help clients, your community, yourself, or your kiddos, together we'll nourish your niche. As always, this podcast episode is intended for educational purposes only. For individualized nutrition recommendations, please contact your personal dietitian or healthcare professionals. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 27, Cooking for One, two are just a few with Rebecca Clyde. Rebecca is a registered dietitian in Utah. As an expert in Cooking for One, she helps solo cooks make eating easier and more enjoyable. She runs Nourish Nutrition Blog, a website with lots of single serving recipes and tips to cook for one. She also runs a private practice helping clients cook for one, improve relationships with their bodies and food, and recover from eating disorders. She practices through a health at every size lens. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Rebecca. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast, Rebecca. Um, This is our guest I've wanted to have on for so long, and it's Rebecca Clyde. Is that your last name, right? Yeah, yes. (laughs) Perfect, and I'm sure we'll get into her platform and everything, Um, but I've just been so intrigued by everything you do with your business, and I, first of all, of course, we want to do the fun questions first before we get into the harder ones. (laughs) I want to know what you're currently craving. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we already asked this, and I've been thinking about it, so. I just love peanut butter and chocolate flavors together, which classic, but what I've really been enjoying lately, um, as it's been so hot this summer, like slicing a banana, drizzling like melted peanut butter and chocolate over it, and then putting it in the freezer for a little bit. Oh my goodness. My mouth is watering. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. And then like apples, I just got some local apples that are really good. And I've been enjoying that and ice cream, peanut butter, chocolate ice cream is great too. So I peanut butter love that. Right now. Yeah. Oh, that's like the dynamic duo. It's the classic combo. There. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, love that. So I just good. discovered like apple nachos in the past, like two years. And I'm like, why did no one tell me about this? Like just drizzling, you know, I'm like, I feel so healthy yeah. when I have it, but it's also kind of like dessert. So I'm like, why did I not know about this before? <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that. So it's good. really so good. And I feel like that's a year, like you're saying, it's kind of a year round thing. Like you can have peanut butter and chocolate in the summer and in the fall. Oh, so, so yummy. Oh, perfect. Okay. Our other introductory kind of fun segment we do here on 30 Minute Nutrition is it's called Weird Food News, which it's, I don't know why I titled it that, but I I love kind of just nerding out about the weird headlines because there's so many when it comes to nutrition, I'm sure as you know, (laughs) so So much misinformation out there. Um, And I kind of like to pick ones that like I feel like this might be tailored to you as a guest. If I'm not mistaken, you do a bit of recipe development with, um, you do like food photography and recipe development a little bit within your business, correct? 
I, yeah, it's actually a majority of what I do for my own website and then also for clients too. Yeah. That is awesome. Then I feel like this, this headline's like perfectly tailored to you. So I, I usually Ooh. pull studies, but this one's actually from the wall street journal. And so it just really intrigued me. Um, the whole article, and I'll try to link it in the show notes as well, but it's basically about how people have been using meal, like chat bots and like, um, like chat GPT and AI for meal planning. And the whole article discusses basically like some users find it helpful, but other people have seen that it comes up with really strange recipes and like really unappetizing food combinations. And so I was so curious since this is a lot of what you do with your work, like if you've heard about this or seen this or what are your thoughts on it? <laughs> yeah, no, I have, I've, I haven't personally gotten into AI cause I like, I don't know, it kind of freaks me out a little bit, but <laughs> partly for that reason. Cause um, yeah. And it is like, a, I don't know, makes me nervous for my work as well, but yeah, I think I'm really curious to see what happens with that because I think for, in some ways it's going to be super helpful um, and then also in other ways, and maybe it's kind of just a glitch as, I mean, it is very, very new. So maybe that's the case with the weird food combinations. But I do have to say, like, recipes that are created by people are often tested <laughs> to some degree, at least. And so that way you can at least know that it's been made by somebody and that it should hopefully will turn out. And then yes. when you know where to go or rely on, you know, more trusted sources, you, you know, it, it will turn out. So, but if it's just computers, uh, yeah, you, yeah, you don't know. And it scares it me. To, it totally scares yeah. me. <laughs> well, and when it comes to food, there's so much, I mean, it's expensive and it, it can, you know, take up a, a large portion of people's budgets. And then it takes time to put into that too, to cook. And so it's like a lot of risk to put into that for the convenience. And I don't, I, there's like trade-offs no matter uh -huh. what, but um, that makes me a little bit nervous for people to, to put all that effort into recipes that are just like cobbled together by machine learning. Yes, I 100% agree. And I, because you do recipe development, I hadn't even thought of that aspect before that like, you, you'll test, I'm sure so much work goes into like creating the recipes and testing them and then like photographing them in an appetizing way, you know, and so mm -hmm. to think about that, I'm like, oh, I feel like I could see why the AI is like enticing. But at the same time, I totally agree with you. Like, it's scary to think like, oh, who's really tested this? My husband actually looked up like he used chat GPT because he was so curious with what I do. I do copywriting for a lot of so I don't quite do a lot of recipes, but I do a lot of articles. And so that was a yeah. huge that's been a huge thing for me as well. Because yeah. I, you know, at one point, I was like, is that just going to render my job like basically useless, you know, because now we have like robots writing things. So uh -huh. I'm like, I don't know what where this is going but he was very curious so when he just pulled it up and I mean the basis of the meal was okay but I totally agree with you it's like weird food combinations and there's things I'm like we just kind of need that human touch in my opinion still to have you know just especially with dietitians who are so qualified you know to go through that and really individualize and personalize it to somebody's care so 100% mm -hmm. agree it's just it's a weird world like in some ways like we have we had a rental car recently that 
like it kind of can self drive, you know, like we can put it in cruise control and it can keep us in the lanes. And I was just thinking, this is so scary. Like sometimes there are machines that are just taken over, but I'm like, it's kind of nice. But at the same time, I'm a little, like you said, I'm a little nervous to see (laughs) where it's all headed, but love your insight on that. That's so interesting. So yeah, I love discussing that weird food news because it's just like, there's some, there's so much science and stuff on it, but sometimes I see headlines and the best way I can just describe it is like, it reminds me of Mad Libs where we're just filling in <laughs> the blanks with like random words. I'm like, is this real life? What is happening? <laughs> yeah. Well, and you hear um, those stories of journalists who are like looking through or asking questions and <laughs> there was one and I think that the chatbot told him to like divorce his wife or something. Oh, it was so my weird. Oh, so funny. So, so spooky. My parents used to take my phone away as a kid. And I, of course I was like 16, so I'd be super mad, but now I'm like, I get it. I totally understand why they wanted to do that. Cause we'd never know what's on the other end. Really? Oh, so wild. Oh, well, yeah, kind of something fun to think about, but definitely, of course, I love your insights on that, but I definitely invited you on to talk about something different than that as well. I mm-hmm. love, love your insights on that and perspective. And I think it'll illuminate what we're talking about today, where we kind of um, foster those connections and and see how we can make meals more meaningful. Um, so as I mentioned, one of your, uh, your platform and kind of one of the pillars of your business is really what drew me to your work. Um, and I think you call it table, table for one. Is that correct? That's kind of um, like your catchphrase for what you do and kind of the community that you serve? Yeah, it is. It's not my website, but it is kind of um, a good way to yeah, to say what I do, because it's pretty clear <laughs> with that. I love that. And your your business name, it's uh, Nourish Nutrition Co., correct? Or is it just Nourish? It, Nourish Nutrition, yeah. I love, I love just what that embodies. Yeah. But yes, I love, I remember, like I said, I, the way we kind of came to know each other was I worked in, um, on an project during my undergrad that brought us together. Um, and I just remember just being, I just admire you so much and still admire you so much, um, for you cater to a community that I honestly feel is really marginalized when we're talking about meals. Um, for me, like at our home, it's just me and my husband that we're cooking for. And so like, even just for two people, I feel like it's so difficult to find recipes, even if you like tailor the serving size amount, you know what I mean? It just, it's not very logical. It's not like you use the whole onion or like a whole piece of produce. You know what I mean? It's like a weird one eighth the cup or, you know, just something that it's like, it doesn't logically makes very much sense. And then we have leftovers of the same meal for like seven days so it's just tricky to find meals that are really tailored to just what I call when I recommend your site to people I say it's like one two or just a few like it's for a smaller maybe like a small batch style of cooking so I'm just very curious um like what drew you to that area and was it something you felt like kind of called to do or what kind of drew you to the community there (laughs) yeah I yes and yes and all those things so (laughs) the I created a blog for the first time out of school. Um, a friend and I had started it. We were like, we're having a hard time finding jobs. And we're like, oh, let's start a blog because that's I love it. what you did in the 2010s. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so that happened and then it kind of morphed and then I took it over and um, really kind of took it in my own direction. It was just really general cooking. And um, I was at an event for the Food and Nutrition Conference and it was like a um, meeting with like like marketing reps or something. And so I was talking to this guy who was a marketing rep and telling him what I do. And essentially he was like, 
pretty brash and like, well, that's nothing new or interesting or like what sets you apart. And so, um, aside of being slightly offended by what he was saying, it really got me thinking about, you know, I mean, he, he's, he's right. And I, we each have our own unique perspective and, like through our experiences in life and then also whether it's like health or other experiences and and I was like yeah I you know I cooked for one I had lived with roommates lived by myself kind of a combination of of those things over the years and um started to kind of I don't know get my gears turning in that direction and yeah because you know in school we did the same program where all of our, most of our teachers were single as well. And it it, like never even crossed, it never even came up in conversations, even though that was how they were feeding themselves. And then I just remember, you know, kind of connecting back farther. The first time that I lived in in an apartment and like cooked my own food, I made this dish that I was really excited about. It was really good. And then as I was like dishing up the leftovers to put in the fridge, I was like, this gonna last me the whole entire week and it's right that never made sense because just the thought of having that many leftovers is enough to like I have no appetite for that food anymore and so yeah I mean there's a lot of parts to it and as you mentioned I mean at the end of the day there's really not very many resources for people cooking for one and it's something that a lot of people who live by themselves or are in charge of their own food for themselves it's something that it's a big sore spot or whatever you would call it. And so, yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's like, a, it's a challenge and a barrier. Like I remember I had, uh-huh. I have another guest coming on this season that um, I was just talking with her a little bit about this topic that it's like, it's really, it really does play a significant role in, especially nutrition therapy. When you're talking with someone, it's like, okay, what's, what does your support system look like? You know, is it friends? Is it family? Is it your spouse? Like it really does play into the meal experience. And I love the way yeah. you described it. Cause it's not, it's like, we're not anti leftovers at our house, but if we have too many, it's like, we kind of get burned out on it. So I totally identify with that part of what you're saying. Like, it is so true. Like we don't mind leftovers at all, but if there's too much of it, we just get burned out on it and they don't have an appetite for it anymore. And so I feel like even with families too, it's like, it's such a, there's some barriers to that healthy eating and trying to figure that out. And I feel like too, there's just kind of a stigma. Um, I looked up a little bit of research and I'm sure, you know, probably way more about this than I do, but I just thought it was interesting because it seems so divided. I usually, I start with a quick Google search just to see like what generally is out there, what people are saying, um, mm-hmm. what kind of pops up first. And it on this topic of like solo dining, it was so divided. Like there were a bunch of recipes that are basically like it's linked with all these things and depression scores. And, and then there was like all these things of like why you should eat alone and like what a sensory experience it can be. So it was so interesting to me to see that it really seems like there's two sides of the aisle on this. Do you feel, have you discovered that within the research as well? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, kind of a combination of what you see, and then also like, what you see in, I don't know, if like literature per se, but you know, what kind of you you see in that realm, and then also from personal experiences from myself and also other people. Yeah. And, And the thing too, I mean, like, loneliness is such a something that people are talking about more now, and especially after the, you know, like post pandemic, and, you know, this like, COVID 
world that we live in now, it's something to be aware of and to Mm -hmm. make changes to if you can, but also at the same time, like some of the changes that people are recommending aren't realistic, you know? And so, you know, yeah. I mean, it's for, for some people, it's easy to be able to spend time or meals with others and others it's not. And there's just so many factors that go into it. And, um, you know, let's focus on reality (laughs) and go from there as opposed to this like idealized version of life. So I love that. I love, I think that any of your message, I feel like just resonates with so many people. Like it just is Mm -hmm. so, I think it's not just, I remember thinking when, of course, when I first heard of you, like I was, um, I think I was dating my husband, but I was like, basically operating like I was feeding just myself at the time mm-hmm. but I've met people you know as in the past couple of years like I've met some empty nesters and things where this is a really valid like struggle for them you know um and then people like I'm yeah. almost 30 and I have a lot of friends who like thought they'd be married by now and maybe aren't and like it's such a realistic like you said it's it's such a real thing in people's lives and I feel like like you said, what we see maybe like in the literature and, and even in media too, it like, it's just stigmatizes the whole experience when like you were saying, like you, you made a meal that you're really like excited about, you know what I mean? And I'm like, I wish mm-hmm. people would talk more about that, that there's this really, this beautiful, meaningful experience that could happen, even if you're just eating for one person. And so I love that that's part of your platform. And um, something else I found, I found a couple studies that I just loved and I'll try to link these in the show notes as well. But um it basically talks about how there's some people who choose to eat alone and it's like a very voluntary experience and they, that can add so much meaning to your life. And then I found another study that basically I just pulled the quote from, cause I loved it. And it says eating together is discussed as a possible social need for many, but perhaps not for all. So I think mm-hmm. like, I know I learned, and I'm sure you learned this as well, but in school, I learned a lot about how people have different learning styles, you know? And so like one, you know, visual learning might work for one person and then um, like auditory learning learning might work for better for another person. And so it made me really think about these studies when I was reading them, I was like, oh, this is interesting. I hadn't really thought about eating in that way that like, even though I'm married, like there's times where I like to have a meal alone without my husband. Like, of course I love eating with him, but like, there's times where for me, like maybe that day, I just need some alone time to really like have like a present sensory experience with my food, you know? And so mm-hmm. um, it just made me, it had my gears turning about like what that could look like for people. And then a lot of the emphasis that came up when I was just kind of looking through the Google searches is that it can bring like a confidence and courage, like those skills you have of cooking. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of portrayal and I'm sure you can speak to this too of, of in the media of just like if you're eating alone it's almost not worth it to make a meal and like eating out's kind of the standard which like I think there's so much confidence and courage in just learning those skills and that can be really it can I don't know if that's the image I feel like it could just it can kind of short change like the whole experience if that makes sense um and then another thing I saw was just like the heightened sensory experience you can have and then full focus devoted to the meal where you're not distracted by maybe like kids throwing food like there's lots of advantages to you know kind of having that solo dining experience so I was wondering kind of if you could speak to that and I think we talked about a little bit but is this something you said maybe among clients or um people you've seen like this does that happen too do you see like pros to having like a solo dining experience oh yeah for sure absolutely so you you mentioned um kind of the courage and oh what was the other word that you said? I forgot. I think I said confidence and courage. Confidence. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so I think, I think there's something kind of beautiful about having only your own expectations and time 
and like constraints on the meal planning, prepping and like eating experience. And what I mean by that is, you know, if things are chaotic around your house, which, you know, is what happens and that's, that's fine. It's not really something that you can control. But um, when there's other people whose opinions are, are part of it and or like hungry people around, you know, like nagging about, about that, when you cook for one, that's often not part of the process. And so you can kind of take your time if you want to, or, you know, have cereal if that's what you want after a long, busy, exhausting day or whatever it is. So you can kind of lean more into what you're feeling in the moment and also have a little bit more pleasurable preparation and cooking experience than if, again, and not that there aren't time constraints when you're cooking for yourself and yourself only, but um, you know, kind of without the, the world kind of turns out <laughs> around you, if that makes sense. So that's one of those things. Yeah. That I think can be really, um, helpful or is kind of a, a, uh, a positive that we don't really talk or think about. Um, and then the other thing too about, yeah. So about like cooking versus eating out, was that the other thing that you mentioned? I think I touched on it. Hopefully I, I um like iterated it correctly. <laughs> I was trying no, to totally. like I love I love that you touched on kind of the intuitive eating aspect of like listening to your like it might be even easier to listen to your body cues and things. So I love that you mentioned like mm -hmm. if you want cereal one night, eat cereal. If you want chicken nuggets one night, like eat chicken nuggets. Like I love it. Yeah, but I think I along with that courage and confidence, I I mentioned just I think sometimes people think um they almost feel like an obligation that if they're not if they're not cooking for other people, then it's almost almost like a maybe a self worth type aspect of it where it's like oh I, if I'm just cooking for me I don't know if it's worth making a meal does that make sense kind of oh yeah absolutely and that is the number one thing that I hear from people really who cook for mm -hmm. one because a lot of I mean there's a there's a spectrum of when it comes to cooking right whether it's like skill or confidence in the kitchen and then also like desire to do that because it it takes time and effort whether it's planning preparing cooking whatever and yeah, and so th there's a number of people who cook for one who 100% say, I love cooking for other people. I hate it just for myself. And so I think, I think it's, that's a helpful question to explore a little bit more. And this is kind of, you know, my approach. Let's, let's figure out why you're thinking the, the things that you're thinking, because then we can address that instead of just like put a bandaid on it, whatever, and make mm -hmm. it still kind of hard. But, um, but yeah, and a lot of times it comes down to kind of that loneliness or feeling like you have to put so much time and effort into cooking and then to have it by yourself. So one part of it can be to focus on the steps, you know, like the, the meal planning, the grocery shopping, whatever, and figure out what you like and what you don't like and then adjust the parts that you don't like. So then you don't have to put as much effort into those. And then also, um, you know, if, if eating with others is something that you really enjoy and, and prioritize, then figure out ways to make that a part of it. So that could be, um, you know, actually planning meals, having like a potluck with others or, um, or, you know, some sort of like a meal group can work or plan on talking on the phone with somebody if you're able to, or if you don't have access to people at that time a show or a podcast or a book is a great 
thing to do while eating. I think, you know, I was taught that mindful eating and, you know, eating without distraction is a really helpful thing. And I think that can be helpful, but when you're eating by yourself, a majority or maybe more than people who have others that they live with or families, like that sucks most of the time. That's not, it's very quiet. Yeah. (laughs) It's really quiet and kind of, yeah. I mean, it starts to feel overwhelming. And so there is no shame in, in doing any of those things. You just, whatever you need to do to make it more enjoyable is helpful. And I think, and one other thing that I would add to this, the thought process of it's not worth it to cook for myself. I think it's really helpful to dig in as I talked about digging into kind of each step of the process, but explore the cooking for yourself. Is it, amount of time that it takes and then how much time it takes for you to eat and there's like a mismatch there or do you kind of deep down not enjoy cooking then you know there's there's options there for all of these things and and give I think it's really helpful to give yourself permission I find myself doing this a lot with nutrition clients is give yourself permission to do whatever is most convenient for you and of course there's trade-offs either way convenient foods are often, you know, they're going to cost more than individual ingredients, but you're saving the time. Um, You could potentially be able to have something at home versus getting something out. Um, And so I just find it really helpful to expand your view of what quote unquote cooking is and really think of it as eating, I guess, instead. And eating out is not a bad thing at all. Um, I just find it helpful to kind of plan it in or make it be intentional because it's expensive and Mm -hmm. there's lots of options out there and why not go for something that you really enjoy as opposed to feel obligated that you absolutely have to just grab whatever is the most convenient and not really enjoy it. I love that mode of thinking. And I think, I don't know what they call it in therapy, but I think it's called values work, like Mm -hmm. really digging, you know, kind of working backwards and thinking, because I, you know, most of us grow up and we kind of just adopt patterns, you know, of like, oh, this is how my mom did it, or this is how my family did it, or this is how someone who's like life pattern kind of, you know, mimics mine or mirrors mine. And we don't, you know, naturally we don't really like start with that almost like family values or personal values and then build a life from there and so sometimes it's like unlearning the things that we've learned you know and like remaking patterns rewiring those patterns and so I love that you touched on that that like it really every time I have a conversation with a dietitian or somebody like in this field that just strikes me how how much of a holistic experience eating is and how it's a lot of, you know, we do might, we might have to go back and look at what's really important to us and ask ourselves some of those hard questions and then work our way back, you know, to make like a a better experience for ourselves. And I think that there's just balance, you know, there's trade-offs with everything. And so um, just understanding kind of like we were talking about before, just, you know, there's different learning styles, there's different eating styles, like figuring out what style you like. I remember for myself personally, like, it's been very recently, I, because I'm in the nutrition field, and I think people kind of expected me to just love cooking and everything. I just realized, like, I do not like cooking. I like baking. Like, I really like Mm -hmm. making desserts, but I don't like 
cooking. And so once I found that out about myself, it was so much easier to like, okay, I want quick, convenient meals that are still healthy. So now I know exactly what to go look for. And then I can make more time to like, really, I love baking and like the, just the smells and the time and like turning on my favorite show. And that whole experience is really exciting for me. And so learning that about myself just made it so much easier. And I'm sure you've probably experienced this with clients as well. Like it just made the whole experience more enjoyable for me. Now I don't dread like making dinner. Like I just know, okay, I have some go-to recipes that are healthy and will feed us and won't leave us with too many leftovers. And the more familiar I get with that, it just makes the whole thing more enjoyable. So I love that you mentioned that. And, and particularly just the part about like, if you're someone who really wants that connection, I love that you touched on like, you know, sitting down with a podcast or a book, like I'm one of those people, I love the mindful eating concept. But for me, like part of that is like reading a book with my lunch, like when my husband's at work and I'm home alone, you know? So it's Mm -hmm. like, for me, I love, I feel connected to reading and like the experts when I do that. And it's an experience that's really meaningful to me and it, but I'm still eating alone in a sense. And so I love that Mm -hmm. you touched on that and kind of you know, I think sometimes we read, you know, read the material on like how good family meals are. And I don't want to, you know, take away from any of that, but it's for some people, it's just not a reality, like you said. And so I love that there's, you're presenting more options to people. Um, And like I said, kind of a community that's been traditionally marginalized by a lot of like the research and (laughs) a lot of like, there's not a lot of resources out there. So I just love, I'm like eating up everything you're saying, because it's so good. (laughs) Oh, good. Well, and there's so many more people who are living by themselves now. And so, you know, there's a lot more people in this position of figuring it out and kind of figuring out what feels good and what's doable and what's Mm -hmm. something that can, you'll enjoy in the moment and hopefully a little bit longer than that. I love that one, especially like you mentioned with the pandemic earlier, like Mm -hmm. it's such a valid for anybody. I feel like it's, I, your platform and just appeals probably to everyone now because it's there was a time you know in the very recent past that we were kind of all forced into isolation in a way and so to just thinking about I feel like maybe we were on autopilot with meals before but now it's like hey we could you know maybe that's gonna be you know years in the future maybe we'll have another situation like that where we really do like it would be awesome for us to have that knowledge in ourself and that self-love to like really create a positive eating experience regardless of the circumstance and so I just love that Mm. I know I feel like we could talk about this forever forever (laughs) I know I know I'm like I should just I'll have to invite you on like next season or or something because I know it's so good we could even dive deeper into this Hi friends don't forget this is a two-part episode so you want to be sure to check out episode 28 What did you love about today's episode? What were you able to learn about yourself and your next steps? I'd love to hear from you in the reviews. The more you review, like, and share this podcast, the easier it is for people just like you to find it and to begin a more fulfilling nutrition journey. For answers to my most frequently asked questions, free resources, and more, visit oniweeks.com today. Until next time, nourish your niche.